Good afternoon, Seven Investors. Happy Super Bowl Monday. Uh, happy for those of us here in Florida. Maybe not so happy for our fans and friends in Kansas City. It wasn't a good game. Uh, I made meatballs. They did not turn out that well. I made wings. They were excellent. You slow cook the wings and you finish them in the air fryer. My name, of course, is Daniel Brooks Klein. We're going to be talking Super Bowl ads. We're going to be talking Tesla and Bitcoin. We're going to be doing three big questions about electric vehicles and all sorts of other stuff. And of course, we're going to take your questions and comments. Joining me today is Steve Symington. Steve, what did you make for the Super Bowl? What did I make for the Super Bowl? Uh, my wife made me a uh, beer cupcake tower for my birthday. Uh, I, saw, which I, I saw that. Did you work your way through the entire beer cupcake tower? <laughs> oh, it was a daunting task, but yes, I did. <laughs> no, that was like 26 beers, so I, I wouldn't be here this morning, I think, if I was capable of that. 26 beers, one for every year. No, Steve was a tiny <laughs> bit older than that. So, I'm a Tom Brady fan because I, I, you know, I grew up in New England, so I'm a Patriots fan, and it's hard to not root for someone who brought you to nine Super Bowls. Like that's mm. so, you know, the game had some emotion for me. It was, you know, a very enjoyable time. That said, the game itself stunk. So more entertaining was the commercials. Steve, top line view, uh, and we're going to talk about investing impact of some of these commercials. Uh, mm. And of course, we're we are going to talk about Tesla and Bitcoin after. We're going to take your questions, uh, but Steve. What was your broad thought about the commercials? Um, more were ineffective than I'd hoped they would be for a lot of publicly traded companies trying to promote their products. You know, there was there was a lot of uh, wit and levity inserted and references to the pandemic and such. But uh, there were uh, a few winners that you know I'm sure we'll we'll talk about in a minute here. Um, there but, there, there yeah. were some winners, but I feel like most of these commercials are created so like ad guys can pat themselves on the back. Like, like there's one, we're, we're not going to talk about this one because they're not publicly traded. Well, we'll talk about it, but it's not going to be in the bulk of the show. Squarespace. Now, I'm pretty sure Squarespace is a website builder, but I watched a $5.5 million commercial. 30 seconds was $5.5 million. And I watched it, and in the end I went, I don't know what Squarespace does. That's not great. At the opposite extreme, Oatly runs a commercial that it, it's intentionally cringy. I think that's fair to say. But at the end of it, I had no compelling reason to buy Oatly. I just thought like maybe I'd buy oat milk, which you know what? I'm not going to buy oat milk. We have enough kinds of milk, almond milk, soy milk. I don't need a third kind of milk. But let's dig into it, Steve. So one of the top ads of the night in in terms of people liking it was the one with Will Ferrell. It was the uh, No Way Norway ad. Um, the ad was funny but I don't think it worked at all. I'll let you go first, then I'll share my thoughts. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think, uh, I, I think actually this this ad had kind of longer term uh, a longer term view in mind, uh, which I, I kind of admire. Um, I think what they were doing was uh, it was an attempt to warm the public up to the idea that they're going to be seeing a lot more EVs or electric vehicles for anyone who didn't get the acronym, uh, which was sort of an assumption they made in the commercial. Uh, go get an EV and meet me in Norway. It's like, no, oh, okay. A lot of people are like, what? <laughs> but. Yeah, so it was a commercial for something that's not going to have happen extensively until like 2030. That would be like running a movie trailer for like Fast and the Furious 15. Like, it's, com <laughs> it's coming out in 20, like, I, I, I don't know. I thought it was an effective, funny ad if the goal was to make me feel a little bit warm and fuzzy about GM. Did yeah. it make me buy a vehicle? No. Again, I'm pointing this out because in a lot of cases, as a shareholder, I'd be asking, what are you doing? I would question the overall marketing ability of some of these comments. Uh, we see your comments. We see your questions. We want more of them. If you want to ask us anything about any of these commercials, any of these companies, happy to talk about it. Uh, good morning, uh, Dorit, uh, Doreen, and, and Renee Carell. Sure. <laughs> Again, I, I am a little bit far away from my. Uh, is, yeah. <laughs> these are actually friends of the family. So, uh, yes, Doris, apologies for, for not getting your name right there. Uh, JE, we'll get to your question. Uh, PepsiCo, this is the Frito Lay night before the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. um, I thought this was one of the better ads of the night, Steve. It actually showed the product. It wasn't overly amusing, but it did remind you of a bunch of Frito Lay products and that they existed. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure it's going to make me run out during the game and grab chips. It was sort of like an ad for the night before that should have run the night before. So <laughs> I, I was scratching my head a little, but it was it was kind of clever, I guess. So Frito is a PepsiCo company. We're going to go through an array of PepsiCo 
uh, commercials here. Uh, and the next one was the It Wasn't Me, based on the old Shaggy song. Shaggy was in it. That's Shaggy the rapper, not Shaggy friend of Scooby-Doo. Uh, and the premise was Mila Kunis uh, was eating Cheetos, and Ashton Kutcher was asking her if she was eating his Cheetos. And the whole time I kept thinking, are things going so poorly for Mila and Ashton that they can't get two bags of Cheetos? But I thought in general, Steve, this was a pretty good ad. Yeah, it wasn't bad. I, I just kind of cringed the whole time personally on that one. But uh, it, I don't know. Yeah, again, I was kind of like, meh, I, I didn't enjoy it. But The next one, another PepsiCo one, was, uh, was Flat Matthew. Uh, you know, and, and this was Matthew McConaughey, and the premise was he was flat, and it was to introduce 3D Doritos. Steve, I don't want to, I don't want to ruin anything for anybody, but Doritos were already 3D, so I'm not sure if these are puff Doritos or it, I. It was effective-ish because at least if I, if you love Doritos, now you know there are 3D Doritos. Uh, I yeah. thought this ad was like kind of dumb. Your thoughts? Yeah, I don't. I'm not sure it was worth the production that they put into it and the 5.5 million they paid to place it, but and the uh, however much they paid Matthew McConaughey, like it, it's, again, it's like return on investment. You know, uh, will they? Will it matter? You know, for a niche product that probably won't be around. <laughs> so let's go with uh, Procter and Gamble. They had the Jason Alexander sweatshirt Tide commercial. This was subtle. I actually think this was one of the better commercials of the night. Because it's funny, it kept your attention, and then it introduced the product really well, made a use case for the product, and then finished with the actual Jason Alexander. Um, a weird celebrity to pick. Not, not haven't thought of Jason Alexander in quite a long time, but I actually think that made it better, that it was sort of this like niche celebrity. Right. Um, the problem I have with commercials like that are, you know, when it's sort of like, can I remember what detergent they were pitching? Tide. I, 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 I'm not sure. Actually, I'm like, was it was it Tied or was it the other one? And and uh, you know, I guess your name goes to that. So that was tough. But oh well. So Je asked a question that not everyone is going to understand. He wants to know how much did the five second Reddit ad cost? That actually wasn't a national ad. It was a pretty clever thing. But in select markets, Reddit bought a five second ad, and it got a lot of news attention today. One of the reasons you run a Super Bowl ad, or in this case, you buy local advertising in a bunch of markets, is because we're talking about it. There's a lot of residual effect of those ads. The problem is, and I think it's the business problem, is people will be like, oh, that ad with Jason Alexander in the sweatshirt, the way his mood changed, the way different things happen. And you're right. They're not going to say the Tide ad. They're going to say the Jason Alexander sweatshirt ad. I do think that is a fundamental problem. Again, we would love your questions and comments. Comment Steve, the JE, um, by the way, I did read that Reddit probably paid between 900 and 950,000 for that little spot. And like Dan said, it did, it aired in just a couple major markets. So people in LA and New York, and I, I was thinking, wait, did I miss it? You know, cause I heard that it was going to happen and uh, it was just in a couple places, but they paid just short of a million for it. So uh, probably $900,000 or so for that little five second. And, and for them, that's probably a great deal because they're yeah. getting talked about doing something really different. Remember a few years ago when Denny's gave away free pancakes the next day and it was like the whole world was talking about Denny's. Yeah. I don't feel like there's any product that the whole world is talking about, but the next ad I truly hated, Steve. It, this was the <laughs> Uber Eats Wayne's World ad. And why, why did I hate it? Because I turned to my son, who's 17, and I said, do you have any idea who those people are? And he said, no. Wayne's World is not a movie that's aged well. It's not a movie that's generational. It's a movie that's fairly unique yeah. to people. Uh, Steve, you're in the age bracket that I'm going to guess you saw Wayne's World, maybe even in the theater, or you remember those Saturday Night Live characters. Yep. These are not timeless characters. No. This felt very dated and it just felt like the people with the commercial wanted to meet Mike Myers and Dana Carvey. Like, I, I don't know. I didn't get this one. I, it didn't make a great connection to Uber Eats. It was a little bit clever, but it was also kind of jarring. I, I was impressed that Dana Carvey hasn't aged seemingly, but uh, Mike, Mike, I can't say the same for Mike Myers. But um, yeah, I, I think, you know, we had enough people. They probably understood the demographic that was watching that a lot of people did remember. Uh, but even myself like i was very familiar with wayne's world and a big fan when i was younger but i barely remember the references i was like oh yeah that's in there but you kind of have to go back and watch the movie uh if anything it was more of an ad for people to go rent wayne's world <laughs> prime you know yeah it it, it, it again it just felt a, like a bad choice when there are so many current celebrities they could be i know cardi b was in the ad uh, yeah. and i'm not 100 Car cardi b is a real thing but 
Uh, every time I'm around younger people, like on a cruise ship or something, and they play a Cardi B song, I believe there's a law that all women under 30 have to stand up and start singing along and dancing. So yeah, and my kids, uh, they're like, "Oh, Cardi B." I was like, "Oh, oh, you got they got that reference, but they didn't get the rest." So yeah. That, uh, so we are talking Super Bowl ads. We are taking your questions and comments. We're going to talk Tesla and Bitcoin, and then we're going to do three big questions about electric vehicles. See, see how I did it there, Steve? <laughs> Unlike GM, I actually tell you what it stands for and don't assume it. The next one, the Sam Adam Horses ads. A big problem with this ad, Steve. You turn it on and you're like, oh, it's the Budweiser Clydesdales. I think they were going for that. That's mm-hmm. kind of a mistake, don't you think? Uh, I'm not so sure. I, I thought it was a Budweiser ad until the very end. And then, you know, it's it's horror. And my son was laughing at that part. And I was like, what is going on? And I was like, oh, it's a, it's a Boston beer ad. And uh, in, in the Sam Adams, Boston Beer Company is the ticker SAM behind that one. And I, I thought it was clever enough that people would be like, I kind of want some some Sam Adams now. So I know that guy from Boston. But do you remember, Steve, what the commercial was for? It wasn't a broad Sam Adams commercial. It was for something specific. Uh, the, the, your, your cousin from Boston commercials. Yep. I, yeah. It was for a new beer. Sam, Sam Adams was pushing. I, for the life of me, can't remember that. And I have that cousin from Boston. I'm from Swampscott, Massachusetts. (laughs) I I know that guy. Um, But again, I, all that reminded me is you're watching it. You're like, Oh, Hey, it's a Budweiser ad. And then the fact that it wasn't is kind of clever, but it did remind me that, hey, Budweiser's there. But let, let's yeah, talk yeah. about... If you sort of tuned out for the last five seconds, you might have thought Budweiser actually placed an ad and, and Sam Adams did him a favor. We're, we're going to seg into, there are a whole bunch of Anheuser-Busch Budweiser ads. But throughout the show, they advertised uh, zero alcohol Budweiser. And Steve, tell me what I'm missing. Because I feel like the recipe here would be water and a little gold dye. <laughs> I, I understand if you're telling me it's alcohol-free Guinness or some other rich-tasting sure. deep beer. Are there really people who love Budweiser that are concerned about drinking and driving? I'm teasing a little bit, but yeah. who is out there for the great taste of Budweiser? Like that feels yeah. to me like it's a miscalculation. Yeah, I don't know. They, I remember a couple of years ago uh, when Bud Light Seltzer was being advertised, and my son. Uh, was like, Dad, what's seltzer? I was like, it's like water, but sparkling. And he's like, so Bud Light seltzer. And I'm like, it's like, he's like, so regular Bud Light, right? I'm like, oh, <laughs> good. But yes, uh, so, kind of the same deal. It's like who, who, you know, the seltzer, I guess, was arguably stronger, but the zero alcohol version. Eh. The, I, see, here's the thing. I thought all the seltzer ads were generally a good idea because mm-hmm. you can't tell me there's an appreciable difference between any of these seltzers. If I order a Truly and you bring me a White Claw, as long as it's the flavor I ordered, I'm not going to be like, throw this garbage back. Like, it's all seltzer. And yeah, there's subtle differences in carbonation. You might have an absolute preference, but the reality is it's all about mind share and market share, which leads to shelf share. So those are just sort of very naked plays. We are absolutely going to talk about Fiverr, Zach Files. We will get to that. Uh, So Anheuser-Busch also had the Bud Light Legends. I thought it was a kind of funny commercial, I have to be honest, I didn't remember most of the characters they were bringing back. But yeah. again, I question the need to advertise Bud Light. Like, Steve, you're a beer drinker. And, and I mean, you know, not a heavy beer drinker, but you drink beer sometimes. And I don't drink beer that often. But if I buy beer, I'm going to buy an interesting beer. Right. I think you're either someone who does that or you're someone who buys your Bud, your Coors, whatever it is you drink. Yeah. I, again, those ads feel misplaced to me, but good for some some of those people getting some work. Yeah, I I, th- I mean I think Bud Light always has its place uh, in my parents' fridge, but that's pretty much you know <laughs> the, where it ends, and and I'm not you know generally going to go there. I'll get a cheap Mexican beer I think before I I go with Bud Light, but otherwise it's going to be some nice you know microbrews or a Sam Adams or uh, you know something. I, I think people's tastes have. Uh, are steadily changing that way. And they're willing to pay just a little bit more for, you know, good beer and appreciate what it is. But that's just sort of the way things have been going uh, in that industry for the last five, six, seven years. Let's finish up with Anheuser-Busch. They had a really long ad uh, featuring Serena Williams, a number of big name celebrities. Steve, Mm -hmm. what was it for? I'm not sure. It was for Michelob (laughs) Ultra. And you had to sit through. I thought it was just an ad for Serena Williams. Like yeah. I, thought, I thought someone was just pushing it. Like, and at the yeah. end, she was going to be like, "Come watch me play tennis." Like, again, a lot of these just not 
very effective. I yeah. think the next one falls into that boat. Uh, Tracy Morgan for Rocket Mortgage. Really funny. Did it tie you to Rocket Mortgage in any way? Uh, I don't know. Not really. Uh, that, that people know Rocket Mortgage exists, but uh, I think what they're going for is, is uh, stemming some of the concerns people have uh, around uncertainty in the mortgage application process. And uh, I'm not sure people are generally that concerned about whether they can afford a mortgage. That doesn't seem to be a big question unless Rocket Mortgage is getting that question a lot. Like, can I afford this? Uh, I think they'll tell you that when they approve you for the mortgage or not. Like, And, and they're much more stringent about the requirements uh, for debt to, to income ratios and, and such now than they used to be. Uh, so I, I don't know, maybe. That yeah, not, 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 not so much. We've dipped back into uh, sort of dangerous territory on that. And for me, for me, the issue is the commercial spent too much time on humor and not enough time connecting the dots. So Rocket right. is a publicly traded company. And you sort of got the idea that they were a mortgage company. And mm -hmm. what they were telling you is that like, hey, there might be risky players in the mortgage space. And hey, that's a bit disingenuous because where do most people get a mortgage? Their mm -hmm. bank or their credit union. So yeah. the reality is, yes, the guy on the street corner offering you a mortgage, he might be sketchy, but that's not the selling point for Rocket Mortgage. The selling point is actually uh, that, that it's quick, which by the way, it isn't. Yeah. So I, I am not a fan of, of that company because they sell something that they don't offer. Like the reality is they don't have for 99% of people this like 45 second rocket mortgage approval. You still have to do all the things you have to do everywhere else. They just have a little bit better of an in interface. The next one was Yum Brands. It was for Pizza Hut. It featured Craig Robinson and Pac-Man. Steve, this surprised me because I don't know if it was like a slightly different ad, but this is a series of ads that's been going on. I felt like I'd seen this one before. Yeah, I, I sort of shrugged. And uh, uh, I was trying to figure out like, okay, Pac-Man, was he talking about the dots? And I don't know, it was, it was effective because I wanted pizza. Um, but I thought they were going to introduce some like new, you know, because Pizza Hut's always introducing some strange new variant on their products. And yeah, and, uh, it was, it was, it was, it was a, val it was a value bundle, but yeah. I don't even remember what was in it. It was some sort of $10 bundle. It actually, $10 made for whatever toppings I think is what it was. And oh, fine. You know, I love Yum Brands and I love Pizza Hut. Um, but I do, I, do, I do not love Pizza Hut. Do not support Pizza Hut. There is better pizza in your neighborhood. <laughs> it actually made me hungry for the Dots Pac-Man eats. Like that's that's how little I would like, which is also the sausage that's on a Pizza yeah. Hut pizza. For some reason, they give you the little Pac-Man Dot sausage. We are going off the rails here, uh, but we promise we're going to get to Tesla. We're going to get to EV questions. We've got about five or six more to go here. This is the one that's going to get me the most hate mail. So I'll, I'll share it right now. That is at Worst Ideas 7 on Twitter. CBS, which was airing the, C the Super Bowl, aired an entire array of commercials for Paramount Plus, their new streaming service. And here's what the commercials told me. There is nothing on Paramount Plus. So the biggest stars they showed you were Star Trek. Basically, the eighth most important Star Wars series is going to be better than the biggest Star Trek series. Mm -hmm. After that... You know, Steve, they've got Beavis and Butthead. I'm sure in 2021, that was a difficult get. Those guys, they got <laughs> Snooky from the Jersey Shore. Like the level of C-list celebrity that are the A-list content on this channel, yeah. I thought they should have been vague. They should yeah. have teased really interesting things. They, they made it act like they had a Disney Netflix level of content. And you're like, when's it coming? Like... Oh, you've got yeah. live sports? Like, I'm watching live sports now. Like, I don't know. I was really disappointed, Steve. Uh, that that was sort of a, well, this is a stream. Uh, I, I think that the the end of the commercial was was maybe the, the exclamation point on its ineffectiveness. And they said, oh, and it's also a streaming service. That was literally how they ended it. I was like, yeah, that that's pretty much how I feel. I'm not going to buy that. And I, uh, well, we'll see. I, but. I've been calling them the fifth best streaming service nobody needs. And that commercial really reiterated that. Um, I, I, I don't know. They're spending a lot of money. This is a, a, a third tier service at best. Zach Files says, any thoughts on Fiverr's first Super Bowl commercial? Mm -hmm. um, Steve, I know what Fiverr is. And I feel like maybe they had this ad made on Fiverr. Yeah. Uh, on Fiverr because it was pretty mediocre and it never told me what Fiverr what Fiverr does. Your thoughts? Uh, 
it was it was clever in in that it, it was the whole four seasons total landscaping thing and no this isn't a hotel uh and it was playing on the whole botched press conference with Rudy Giuliani and all that so he's sure clever uh but yeah it it didn't do a great job at uh at explaining hey what does Fiverr do and if you know you know uh but I'm not sure that's the best way to spend five and a half million dollars um and maybe people would go say, well, what does Fiverr do? But I think they're going to remember more the sort of clever, um, the clever play on the uh, Four Seasons Total Landscaping thing than they will the actual Fiverr brand. So uh, we'll see. Maybe they'll watch the ad and then they'll wonder what Fiverr is. Um, let, but let, eh. let, 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 let me give a lesson to companies that people don't know what you are that have a weird spelling. Spend your commercial telling me what you do and spelling your name. So yeah. if, if, if I'm a musician and I have an odd name and I'm telling people what my social media is, I'll be like that Jack, J-A-C-K-K, uh, Jones, J-U-O-N-S. Like, you know, whatever, whatever weirdness is, you have to make it, you have to make it accessible. Five, yeah. Fiber threw away five and a half million dollars and that absolutely concerns me. But T-Mobile did not. Uh, one of the early T-Mobile ads before the Super Bowl, we actually shared on our Slack, the one in the Super Bowl, uh, fe- featured uh, Adam Levine, Gwen Stefani, Blake Shelton. Steve, yeah. do you want to explain the premise of this commercial? The the Tom Brady uh, Gronk commercial? Oh, there was that one as well. So that well, was the before the, the Super Bowl one. one. Uh, that was the one that didn't get uh, – they actually turned it down. Uh, so that, that was maybe even the most effective, in my opinion, the T-Mobile ads. Um, but, yeah, there's I, I think it was a fantastic kind of ongoing series of, of that so, ad campaign. You can probably explain that one better than me. Yeah, but so, so, so what happened – so they, sh- they showed you the impact of a bad network. So mm-hmm. in the one of the Super Bowl, they showed uh, Gwen Stefani calling Adam Levine and describing the guy she'd like to date. And she says, yeah, not country, really refined. Like she describes the opposite of Blake Shelton, basically. Yeah. And then they play back the bad network they're on, what Adam Levine heard, and it's country, not refined. I forget the other descriptions. And, and she sends in, so he sends his buddy Blake to the date and he's wearing spurs and he rode a horse there. And it was very, very funny. <laughs> and it sort of showed you the value of T-Mobile's 5G network, which they were always kind of mentioning in the background. It was very clear what the point of the commercial was. And when you describe it, you are very likely going to say the T-Mobile Gwen Stefani Blake Shelton commercial. You're probably not going to describe it. So the actors, the, the singers did not, the stars, did not overshadow the commercial. We've got just yeah. a few left here. Uh, Robin Hood, they were in a commercial called Born Investors. It seemed to be a commercial that was um, really effective in, in promoting working hard, not so effective in promoting Robin Hood. Uh, I sort of felt like it was the opposite of everything Robin Hood's done to promote their brand so far. Uh, and maybe it's a step change in the way they're trying to promote their service uh, because they realize they're kind of in some some deep PR issues at the moment. Um, but that was, uh, that was an interesting, uh, change of pace from the brand that's almost trying to poise itself as, uh, you know, we don't, <laughs> it, I feel like they cater so much to people who love to try and day trade or inexperienced options traders who try and make risky bets, uh, and with the, you know, the fireworks and the app and, and, uh, that kind of thing, um, that this commercial felt like it was for a completely different brand. And, uh, that, that's kind of how it felt to me, but it didn't feel to me like it was for a brand at all. So yeah. one of the arrogance of some of these commercials is they assume, you know, who they are. Like, so I just taped a podcast, a fairly popular podcast, uh, a Canadian who invests in America. And, I didn't assume the audience for that show would know who I was. I made a joke that I'm not as big as Canada, you know, as I am in the U.S., where, of course, I'm a giant celebrity. And then I proceeded to tell people who I am. Robinhood, if they had just said, we're a really easy platform to get started investing in and played against that background of other things you invest in, I think that would have been okay. But <laughs> at the end of it, you're like, is this a time management app? Like, what, what yeah. is it? And, uh, and that fundamentally a giant problem. Go ahead, Steve. J.E.'s very clever comment said Robin Hood, quote, bought the call for millions a couple of weeks ago and watched it expire worthless on live TV. That's an options joke. Um, (laughs) And uh, yeah, basically, if your call isn't above the strike price, it expires worthless. And uh, yeah, that's a 
Steve, uh, I don't, I don't want to call him out, but but that joke is in the big book of options jokes that, of course, all of us <laughs> have read. Uh, that, that, that is not a thing. We got just a few left. Then we are going to talk about electric vehicles. We're going to talk about Tesla and Bitcoin. We would love more questions, more comments. Uh, uh, we're going to get a, a comment from our very own Matt Cochran. Steve, if you want to ring that up, uh, absolutely. We will take that, Sam Bailey, if you want to put it on screen. Love Steve, the go ahead. Ads, but in both examples, it worked out for the people to have bad networks. So did it really show the value of having a good network? I think <laughs> it did. Uh, yeah, I guess it's like, well, bad networks can actually help you. Um, good point. But yeah, I think most people get the that, point. That is a great point. We appreciate, Matt, our whole team for watching. So again, I know people get mad at me when I say negative things about CBS and Viacom. Uh, because a lot of people are in love with that company. Uh, and I'm going to be doing, I'm taping it on Thursday. I think it's going to air on Friday's show. One of our friends of the family, one of our uh, one of our uh, subscribers and affiliates, uh, Alan Sokoloff, uh, he has his own newsletter uh, as well. He's going to be doing with me, we're going to tape it, but then it's going to air, I think, on Friday's show after we're done. It's called Change My Mind, where I'm going to tell him all the reasons I don't like CBS Viacom, and he's going to try to make a case, and then we'll take it to Twitter for people to vote, uh, you know, sort sort of, and I always lose these. I, I've I've done these other places, and you're in, you're an inherent disadvantage because making a bull case is generally better than making a bear case. Um, but that is going to be really fun, and that's just sort of how we're working in some new programming here. But Walt Disney, the commercial was called "Get Your Stream On," and it basically showed how amazingly deep the Disney Channel is. It didn't star like Forky, who ha actually has a show on on Disney Plus. It starred The Mandalorian and The Avengers and all of the amazing content you're getting on this channel. And basically in one 30 seconds ad, 30 second ad, they showed you why Paramount Plus, which was the biggest spender ever on the Super Bowl, Paramount Plus is basically quibby with longer programming. It is not <laughs> going to work. I'm being provocative intentionally here. Um, so Bruce Springsteen did an ad, uh, and it felt like a Springsteen song. It was all about coming together. Uh, Steve, what, what was it for? Uh, I think it was for the boss, right? That's it. Who, yeah, that's, it was for, that. it was for Jeep. <laughs> um, and I guess there's a rub for Jeep in being associated with Bruce Springsteen. Yeah, and it was a really nice mention. And if it was like if if they had just started the commercial with like with like Jeep would like to bring you a message about unity, that would have been better than this like pretty good Bruce Springsteen poem or whatever it was he was doing about coming together and then at the end being cheap. Like it, it really did not work. Steve, Chipotle, can a burrito change the world? That was actually the title of this commercial. Did you like this one? Uh, absolutely. I love me some Chipotle. Uh, but I also like that it, it highlights the uh, the... I guess you could say ESG uh, approach um, that Chipotle tends to take, uh, especially with their uh, food sourcing. That's kind of been a big thing. And a lot of people don't necessarily know that how responsible they try and be in the way that they source their ingredients and uh, just the way they run their company. And I think it did a great job at highlighting that. And, and it may uh, spur people to want to uh, actually support a brand that is perceived um, to be, responsible in the way it, uh, it does business. So I Steve, think I'm going to go opposite direction here. <laughs> um, so do you remember a few years ago, there was E. coli and, and basically a very minor scandal, a, a, a handful of people got sick, less than 200 people sure. were impacted by this. Do not hold yourself up as a food company as better than other people as your core message. If you want to show how awesome your burrito is and also mention those things, they are setting themselves up for a fall. You cannot say you're better than other people because something will happen. When you handle food, no matter how safe you are, people are going to get sick. This was a big problem for Panera Bread for years. The percentage of people when they're going to get a $8 burrito who truly care where the guacamole is sourced from or whether like the clerk selling it to you like read to the pig while it was being raised. Like <laughs> this is an absolute unnecessary thing. They should have been Chipotle. Now we have breakfast or Chipotle will make you a quesadilla. Like there should have been a new product here. The yep. secondary message can be the ESG message. Mm -hmm. It cannot be the primary message. A giant I hate to say that. Last one. This actually comes from Twitter. 
I didn't actually see this commercial. I had to go seek it out. I'm not sure what I was doing when it aired. Uh, this was one of the Jonas bro- Brothers for the Dexcom G6 Glucose No Finger Stick. I thought this was a perfect ad. Steve, oh, your yeah. thoughts? Yeah, that was a fantastic ad. Um, it was, yeah, it was just a little clever. Uh, it was, they got their 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 message across and uh, promoted the brand. And, uh, you know, even for someone who doesn't have to manage diabetes, I'm like, that's awesome. And uh, makes you makes you want to consider the company. It, it just explained it. I know there's some controversy in the diabetic community, uh, so I, I want to at least acknowledge that. But assuming the product does what it says it does, uh, I thought it was very effective. We're going to take one last question from Andrew Connolly, uh, and then we're going to move on to talking about electric vehicles. I love Chipotle's recent move toward their app, but they need to address their quality issues. Always seem to be out of something, and it's always a crapshoot for whether or not it will be good. I agree. I think Chipotle has an execution problem. Food's always cold. I've talked about how the Chipotle does not work. Uh, They need to be able to take orders while you're in that line. I get the push to digital, but I liken this, Steve, as to they're growing very fast and they'll work it out. Uh, I'm a big Chipotle fan. I would very much be happy to go grab some tacos after this. Uh, We're like, I don't know, 1,100 miles apart, so that's not going to work. But Steve, your thoughts? Uh, Yeah, I'll agree with that as well. Uh, I'm a big Chipotle fan. And, uh, you know, I've cheered them on uh, along the way, but they do have some execution issues that need to be worked out and, and uh, liken them to growing pains for now. Uh, but I do think they've done a, a much better job at uh, quality control when it comes to like foodborne illness and how they respond to it. Uh, I think they've done a fine job there. But as far as uh, food quality and sourcing, uh, sometimes actually uh, what we were talking about earlier, they're sourcing uh, how picky they are with with how they get their ingredients does mean you know, they'll be out of something. Uh, but that's a challenge that uh, inevitably arises when you're uh, scaling did, business on a national scale. They did an amazing job handling the food safety scandal, and it didn't matter. Yeah. Uh, you know, and some of that was because of, of when it happened and, and there'll be less impact. Uh, they trained people. They closed their stores for half a day. They changed all their procedures. They hired people. They made the right partnerships. Yeah, but someone's still going to get sick, sick at Chipotle. And I agree. I would almost rather go in and they say, hey, we don't have pork today because we couldn't get a pig that meets our standards or we couldn't get it fresh enough or whatever it is. When you go to fresh food based restaurants, they can be out of things that, you know, that that is part of the thing, but they could communicate it better. They could tell you, hey, the farmer that we deal with wasn't able to get this today and we're working on other arrangements from equal quality that's going to happen but we are we are happy to move on we appreciate you indulging us steve we're going to do what we're watching first right before we do that seven investing of course is a paid service this is a free show seven investing now uh, but our core product is a paid service what's the core thing we're selling steve i know but maybe some of the people (laughs) watching the Tens of millions of people who will see this, hopefully not that many, but getting there. Hopefully, what will they learn about 7investing? What do we sell? The the core of our service is that we provide seven stocks every single month to our subscribers for $17 a month or $170 per year. That's a couple months free for people who stay a whole year. And uh, we also have a referral program where people can earn free months. And uh, really, we provide comprehensive research, detailed reports on these recommendations, and we track them transparently in real time uh, on our website. We buy the stocks that we recommend as well. So uh, just really giving people a uh, consistent, steady source uh, of ideas and uh, potential investment opportunities. And uh, you can see everything we've done uh, if you join up since we launched last March. And uh, we've significantly outperformed the markets. I'm not sure exactly what the alpha is that we've uh, we've generated at this point, but it is uh, beating the markets by uh, a significant margin. I'll pull that up in a second. But seventeen dollars a month. Let, 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 let's let's not even because right now we know the markets are. It's we, weird we, right now. That's the crazy thing. Is this is what a nutty market uh, that we're in, and that's one of the things that I think we try and uh, we try and be is. Um, is a, a voice of reason uh, amid all the craziness. And that's that's part of what we've done, you know, a few weeks ago during the whole uh, GameStop craze. We, we paused all of our paid advertising and uh, we made some of our paid advisor updates available uh, publicly because we thought they would actually serve people well to read. Um, so we try and be... Um, a, a voice of reason to enable people to to really think long term 
and uh, to invest the right way and buy and hold great shares of great businesses. And that's kind of the way we think about it. I think that's really the core uh, of what we do. So um, it, it's nice that we've been right so far, uh, but uh, really helping people improve and grow as investors. Yeah, uh, we, we, we oh. joke internally that we're good, but we're not this good because a lot of companies we picked for five-year reasons, those five-year, the reasons we picked happened very quickly because of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Here's how I look at it. Experienced investors are just going to get the benefit of the amazing amount of research we do. We all put in tens of hundreds of hours every every month, every year, looking at the companies we don't pick, let alone the ones we do. And right. if you saw what we talk about on Slack and how much information goes back and forth between all of us, when you get those seven picks, you know the work was done. But I love it for newer investors, for people who maybe were only buying mutual funds or or didn't really you know, know how to get into buying individual stocks. Mm-hmm. It's like you have a friend who can help you get through it. We have private calls for people. We, we, you know, we, we answer email that you send us at info at seveninvesting.com. We'll answer it on this show uh, to share those lessons for most people. We're active on Twitter. That's at 7investing. I will stop the commercial here. If you would like to subscribe, that is 7investing.com slash subscribe. I went out a little too long, but I'm passionate about what we do because I love the reason we're doing it. It's uh, We saw during this GameStop thing, the little guy's getting beaten. The little guy's getting beaten if he's trying to day trade. The little guy's not being beaten if he's a long-term investor. That's what we do. That is what we believe in. Steve, time for what we're watching. We're going to get to Tesla in a few minutes. Turns out Hyundai Kia is not working with Apple. Wah, 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 wah. Steve, why don't, you, uh, why don't you explain this story a little bit? Yeah, so uh, shares, if you look at shares of both Hyundai and Kia, and they're they're kind of affiliates, uh, they're falling pretty hard today. I think last I checked, they were down 9% and 14% respectively. After both companies disclosed in regulatory filings that they are not in talks with Apple to develop a self-driving Apple car. And uh, this is sort of an about face for Hyundai because actually last month, Hyundai said that it was an early stage talks with Apple, but it later revised that statement to not mention the folks in Cupertino. So uh, only a few days ago, CNBC actually reported that Apple and Hyundai Kia were finalizing a deal for the Apple car. And uh, they both companies did say, uh, however, that they're in early, uh, basically, they, they've received requests from multiple companies uh, to collaborate uh, joint development of similar projects. Uh, but Apple seems to be out of the mix, at least for now. Uh, but everything's really early stage. Uh, we might yet still see a collaboration. Apparently, Apple wants the car to be built in North America and they want control over the hardware and the software, which could be part of the reason this deal kind of stumbled. Uh, and maybe this is a hardball tactic by Hyundai Kia. Uh, to say, you know what, we're no longer in talks and uh, it's not doing their shareholders any favors at this point, uh, but Apple could also go with another big manufacturer. So it'll be interesting to watch this play out. But for now, uh, it seems like it's off. Let me give you the investing lesson here. Don't buy mediocre companies because they have some good news. Basically, here's how Apple's telling it. Key and Hyundai sent them a text that said, sup, and they they, they didn't answer. Like, <laughs> you know, like, like that's early stage talks or like, <laughs> you know, th- th- this is not, this wasn't actionable news and you have to be careful because look, CNBC, as much as I tease them for, for some of what they do, amazing, yeah. excellent, top quality reporting. Mm-hmm. But a lot of times until something's confirmed, if you read the language of that story, there definitely was a lot of couching language that it wasn't yeah. confirmed, that it wasn't buying stocks because of that is sort of like, you know, when you sell stocks of a company because maybe they're going to lose their biggest customer because that customer is being bought, which doesn't really fundamentally change a company. All it does is sort of change the short-term revenue picture. So if it's not going to put them out of business, you, or, and in this case, what was an Apple car going to mean? That might mean something giant 10 right. years from now. That might mean a speculative car that never becomes a major commercial product. Be yeah. really careful of this. We saw this with like Nikola and GM, remember? Uh, Nikola stock went crazy because, you know, they signed a deal with GM. Steve, how'd that deal turn out? Or am, am I getting my Nikola truck anytime soon? No, no, you're not. Uh, it, it was sort of seen as a, a vote of confidence again, and I guess that, that could be the same thing. But um, I also question in this case um, how 
you know, how good of a deal this is for, for Tesla or not Tesla. We're going to get there in a second, Apple and whoever it ends up working with, they could end up in a, uh, a very low margin, uh, business, you know, for, for autonomous vehicles. And, and, uh, you know, we can talk about that with Tesla, how they plan to bolster margins and, and they have broader energy aspirations and, you know, self-driving robo taxi fleet that could bolster margins. Uh, but it's surprising. Um, it'll be interesting to see how Apple tends to monetize this because of the immense, uh, revenue and gross margin profile that they currently enjoy with their current products. So, um, we'll see. Joni Mitchell, if you're watching, uh, self-driving robo-taxi fleet would be an excellent title for a more modern song. And that is a joke many of you are not going to get. Uh, Tesla has bought $1.5 billion in Bitcoin. Uh, They're going to start accepting it as payment. Steve, I'll be clear here before I let you run with this one. (laughs) I'm not an Elon Musk fan. I do not think he should be allowed on Twitter. I think he he manipulates things regularly and should be regulated by the SEC. Uh, I think he manipulated Etsy stock a few weeks ago. You don't think this is a publicity stud. I think he owns a bunch of Bitcoin and he's trying to manipulate the price. I, I don't. And I, I think he'll, uh, you know, he, he's publicly, I am, a uh, to be clear, an Elon Musk fan and a Tesla shareholder. Um, but he has been clear in the past that he doesn't respect the SEC. So I won't be surprised if he gets a slap on the wrist for him. Uh, whether he cares is an entirely different story. Uh, he did lose his, uh, cha- you know, what he, uh, he lost his chairmanship or yeah, uh, as a result of the, the whole funding secured debacle. Um, but uh, I honestly don't think this is a publicity stunt. I think it actually makes sense in light of his recent tweets on cryptocurrencies. And, and a lot of people were perplexed by his tweets on Dogecoin, which was kind of strange. Uh, he seems like he, he's kind of enjoying himself and he, he does know what he's, he's doing. But uh, I, I do think it serves as a massive vote of confidence uh, in the future of cryptocurrencies in general. Uh, Bitcoin happens to be the most widely viewed as a legitimate potential real life currency uh, in the cryptocurrency space. And uh, we were actually talking about this just last month uh, in our internal seven investing Slack channel. Uh, about the same time we unveiled our partnership with uh, Crypto EQ and had Spencer Randall, uh, their, co- their, their founder and CEO on our podcast. Uh, when Musk was tweeting uh, just a few weeks ago, he was tweeting back and forth with MicroStrategy CEO Michael Saylor, uh, who is a big Bitpo- Bitcoin proponent himself. Uh, and I remember Musk was asking at the time, he said, uh, are such large transactions even possible? Because they were talking about the potential for Tesla to transfer uh, some of their balance sheet over to Bitcoin. And, uh, and Saylor noted at the time that he'd just done that over the previous month with $1.3 billion, uh, buying in Bitcoin. And uh, he said he'd be more than happy to share playbook with musk offline if he wanted so uh sure enough here we are a few weeks later musk has done exactly that uh he's buying 1.5 billion in bitcoin and they say they will soon accept it as payment for tesla vehicles uh this is a big deal i think and uh, it's only it's 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 a very big deal and um it, it should be um really interesting to watch because i think this is arguably the biggest uh backer uh that and back we've seen um for some you know a large company a industry leading one of the largest companies in the world actually publicly accepting uh bitcoin uh as valid in the world and i think that's what they've been searching for is validity here's the thing there's very real cost with building a tesla so there's a pizza place in Cambridge, Mass. that takes bitcoin and has a bitcoin atm i don't know if that still exists but that was a news story a while ago sure when, when I buy a $50,000 Tesla with $50,000 worth of Bitcoin, and then an hour later, that $50,000 is worth $35,000 or $65,000, you can go either direction. That is a significant amount of risk for Tesla. If this is going to be 5% of their portfolio, that's probably interesting and okay. Yeah. If this is going to be some sort of big thing, I question when someone's positively tweeting about Dogecoin, whether there shouldn't be much stricter SEC communications regulations, yep. uh, because that's trolling. That is absolutely, uh, you know, playing up internet memes. Uh, you know, Mark Cuban, who who is, you know, uh, often a, a really interesting investor, has also sort of played to that. Uh, that I don't always think. You know, if you don't see the whole Reddit M- ask me anything, and you only see those parts, I think it could be really tricky. 
Turf P, we're going to get to your question uh, because it's, it's a really good one that I think is an important investing lesson. But before we do that, uh, we're going to hit the home stretch here. And it's a three big questions about electric vehicles. I wrote three questions for Steve. He is going to answer them. Uh, there'll be a little bit of time for Q&A at the end. So we'll take the question from Turf. If there's anyone else that has a broad question, a question about anything we've talked about today, anything that happened, you want to uh, make a case that Tom Brady is greater than Michael Jordan, I'll listen to that case. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I think no person has done as much with as little natural ability as Tom Brady has done. Uh, whereas you could argue that Michael Jordan squandered two years of his career for the baseball or whatever, uh, you know, the secret suspension or whatever it is we're going to call that couple of years. I'm teasing and trolling you. That is not a serious argument. Uh, is there money to be made as a long term investor in electric vehicles? Steve? Uh, yes. Uh, there is. And, uh, you know, there's there's money to, made, to be made on multiple fronts. Um, I think, you know, you can look at suppliers, uh, you can look at companies that are f- sort of full stack, um, you know, that are, that are doing most of this themselves. Uh, you can look at companies like Tesla. I, I'm not sure. Uh, I, I'm not yet convinced uh, that I want to buy companies like Ford and GM. Uh, that's just me. And they're piling a lot of money. Just last week uh, in our, our live streams here, we talked about how Ford and GM are both, um, they've announced plans to pile, I think, $29 billion and $27 billion respectively by 2025 into their electric vehicle development. And uh, I think that's going to be transformative. Uh, but I also think I, I would rather continue to own shares of companies like Tesla with a bigger uh, long-term vision. Uh, when it comes to the electric vehicle space, because I think they have a technological edge and uh, I think there's money to be made, but uh, you're going to have to be uh, smart about how you do it. Uh, but yeah, I, I didn't want to own car makers before. I don't want to own car makers after. It's very hard to be differentiated. Yeah. I also don't chase EV investments. All the people buying, it's the Tesla of Sweden. Like that's a dangerous game to play. I like Tesla not because of the vehicles, I don't own it because of Elon Musk. I like it because of all the other things they're developing. One, the brand matters. And that is not true of most car companies. They are very loyal, despite their cars being fairly crummy from a maintenance point of view. They have terrible track records there. The battery technology to me is interesting. If we're going to go to space, what Tesla is doing with batteries may be a big piece of that. Question two, will Tesla remain the leading player that sets the market? Steve. Uh, I think it it likely will. Uh, and if anything, uh, you know, it came into this with a significant technological lead. And that's something I've been writing about and saying for the last couple of years. And uh, and I think it's it's well ahead when it comes to autonomous vehicle technology and battery technology. And uh, it, it's getting there with manufacturing. You can see some of the uh, the big Ford and GM proponents that are criticizing the way Tesla manufactures and their cat their their big casts and stamps and and uh, and maintenance and charging stations. So there's a lot of work it has to do yet, but I also think its recent run uh, has done it a lot of favors and uh, taking advantage of that to raise capital and improve their balance sheet along the way for a company that's sort of on the edge of profitability and back and forth when it comes to positive and negative cash flows. Uh, But I do think um, they'll remain the player leading in setting the market uh, going forward. That's my personal opinion. That doesn't mean they can't be disrupted by uh, an up-and-comer uh, going forward, or the well-funded in- industry incumbents. But uh, I think Tesla is working from an advantage, and I think that lead is theirs to lose. Steve, I'm actually I'm going to say they have a bigger advantage than you think, because and you can tell me what it's like in Montana, but here in Florida, I would feel entirely comfortable buying a Tesla with the charging range. Let's say you buy the model with a 240-mile range, right. that I would never have to worry about a charge. I drive from my house to Orlando a lot. Yeah. And not there's three rest stops along the way mm-hmm. on the Florida Turnpike. Only one of them has Tesla charging stations, and I assume it's like every third one on the Florida Turnpike in general. Uh, but as long as you know where it is, and they're they're good at communicating that, it's very easy to stop. There's a ton of them. I've never not seen like five available. Sure. Once I'm in Orlando, they're everywhere. Uh, I, I so I feel like what they've built with charging infrastructure gives them a pretty big lead. Like if you said to me, I can buy a Tesla for 40 grand or a GM for 30, my first question would be, well, where do I charge it? And I think that's a big question. 
Yeah. And I, I agree. Uh, there, even up here, you know, the, the charging stations are few and far between, but there are apps within the actual Tesla vehicle that tell you where it is and you can plan trips around that and it's only getting better. Uh, so we, you know, we've got supercharging stations here and, uh, yeah, so I, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing that infrastructure continue to get built out. And, uh, I think it'll be like gas stations, uh, going forward. But uh, speaking of which, you have another question that... Yeah, Steve, I'm going to take that one after we do the third one here. So there, there is a great question from Doris and Renee. We're going to take that as part of our final uh, Q&A segment. And I realized, Sam Bailey, I sent you the graphic. We have a whole new graphic, uh, as I teased on Friday, sort of a rundown for the show. Uh, and I didn't tee it up at the beginning. Sam, if you're back there, if you haven't given up on us, if you want to show that graphic and we can remember to show it at the beginning, look how nice this is. We have this whole, Max Chasco put this together. Uh, we were going to take your questions earlier. That was largely because the uh, template is built around having two people on the show and I couldn't figure out how to delete it. So I just decided to insert, take your questions. We're actually going to do that at the end. So from now on, as we start the show, we're going to show you this graphic. Uh, so you have a sense of what we're doing and what's coming up on the show. We have a great team behind us, and we are really excited about that. But Steve, when do you think electric vehicles will replace internal combustion engines as the dominant vehicle on the road? So 51% EVs, 49% ICE. That's a loaded question, but uh, I I'm going to just go a good round number and say uh, in the next decade. So let's say 10 years from now, uh, I think we get there because of the, the massive tens of billions from multiple manufacturers uh, that they're pouring toward that. And uh, I think in the next 10 years, they'll be making mostly EVs. It's just a matter of how long the current uh, internal, com internal combustion engine vehicles uh, remain on the road. And uh, I, I think it's going to, uh, the inflection point, uh, maybe we've already uh, started to, to kind of hit that, but the next couple of years, it's going to be really uh, fun to watch, I think. The, the price has to come way down. I bought my Nissan Sentra. Uh, it was one year old. I bought it for about $11,000. On When I'm regularly driving on the highway, I get 40-something miles per gallon. Hard to argue that I should buy a $35,000 electric car. The savings simply doesn't add up. So I do think you need the price point to come down. Uh, JE says, can't wait for my Cybertruck delivery this year. Uh, let's be real. Hopefully next year. Steve, do you think they deliver the Cybertruck? I, I feel like that one was a goof. Like, it looks like a transformer that doesn't make the A-list. They, they deliver the Cybertruck. That's going to happen. And uh, it might take longer than you think uh, to deliver, but it'll happen. And I think there's enough interest from everybody. And I think uh, a significant amount of those uh, Cybertruck pre-orders are genuine interest. And I think they will be because it's a refundable uh, pre-order. To be, you know, that's something you need to keep in mind. So they're not going to deliver all of those, but I think the amount of interest they have uh, from people is is absolutely genuine, and I think they will deliver it. Uh, I think it could have been more disruptive. I think we saw like Ford and GM really breathing a big sigh of relief when they unveiled the Cybertruck and said, "Oh, good, it's weird looking. Like we don't have to worry about it uh, killing our existing bread and butter like pickup <laughs> lines." But uh, I think in the future, if they do um, something different than the Cybertruck, and Tesla does unveil. A, uh, an actual more traditional looking uh, pickup truck akin to their Model S, their Model 3, Model Y, etc. cetera. Uh, I think then the, the bigger manufacturers could really be in trouble. Uh, but I think the Cybertruck comes first. And uh, yeah, it'll be it'll be fun to see those toys driving around. Very durable toys, I think, is what, what they look like. But You're watching 7 Investing Now. I am Dan Klein. He is Steve Simonton. We're going to take two more questions, and then we're going to hit our finisher. Uh, Gerald Marshall says, love your team. We appreciate that. Thank you. Uh, we love our audience. We know you have you have choices when it comes to your uh, podcasting, live streaming, and investment services, and you have chosen us, and that means absolutely everything. Uh, Doris and Renee Carell says, what about the infrastructure necessary for a lot of electric cars? Are there companies coming forth to accommodate to maybe invest in? It's an interesting idea, but I've never been a big fan of like, this company makes the horn for this car company, let's invest. I think the best investment is, of course, the charger networks, but I'm not putting a lot of money into, say, like gas company stocks or gas station. Like, I, I don't think that, Steve, let, let, maybe you have a better idea here if there's a, a, a secondary play. Um, yeah, no, I, I, there, are, there, there are companies you could use to play it, but I'm not that compelled. And there's a reason they haven't really made our top recommendations at 7investing. Um, 
but uh, there, you know, there are kind of backend companies as far as materials required to build some of these that you can benefit from. Um, but uh, I, I think if, if it's compelling enough, you'll see it show up as a future seven investing recommendation. So uh, just stay tuned, I think, to that end as it plays out. We'll close the Q&A with uh, Turth P. Ask something that is absolutely very important. Thank you very much for a great service. With so much volatility, how does an intermediate to long-term investor manage entries and stop losses? So I'm going to go quick on this. We don't manage entries if it's a good company, unless it shoots up 10,000% between the time we decided to buy it and when we buy it. We, I think all of us just buy the stock. I do not use stop losses. If it's a good company and it dips 20%, I don't want to be sold out of it because I might not be able to buy it back as it recovers. You would have sold your Microsoft, your Apple, your Amazon. I don't use them at all. Volatility is a feature of the market. Good companies almost always eventually win. Steve, I'll give you the last word. Yeah, I, I don't time my entries that way. I think more important is uh, is maybe dollar cost averaging your way in, like buying uh, you're buying small amounts of a position until it's a, about the the size of the position that you want. And again, like like uh, Dan, I don't use stop losses either. Uh, so I don't use limit orders to buy uh, and I don't use stop losses that could potentially uh, cause me to um, unwittingly sell out of my position on a particularly volatile day. It is not um, it doesn't happen that often. But, you know, if you said, you know, some people be like 20 percent stop loss or 30 percent, something crazy happens. You could have a weird spike that goes down temporary and you've stop lost out and you've literally sold your shares at a 30 percent discount. And uh, and I want to determine if a big drop like that happens, I'm doing homework and I'm determining whether my thesis is still intact. Uh, and I, I don't use stop losses. I buy and hold. And uh, I'm not particularly concerned, uh, like you said, unless it climbs 10,000 percent right before I want to buy it. Uh, but even then, you know, if, if it's if a stock jumps 10, 20 percent or something over the course of a couple of weeks, I'm like, oh, I wish I would have bought it a couple of weeks ago. I don't worry too much because I'm looking at companies that I'm hoping are you know, 10 beggars, 20 beggars, 100 beggars over the course of the next several years. Uh, and that's the way we think not in months or weeks or days or even quarters. We're looking at these companies from a very long-term perspective. That's the best way to ensure that you have outsized gains. You of course only get to know our picks. If you're a subscriber to seven investing, I will say that my pick this month, I bought on the first day I worked here. Like I wanted to buy it. Uh, but I, I couldn't cause of trading restrictions and hosting shows, uh, where I used to work. So the second I could, I bought it. And between the time I bought it and the time I recommended it, it doubled. I am a thousand percent convinced that doesn't matter at all. If you pull out the stock chart from any good company, it is really hard to find one that doesn't have a 50% drop at some point. Uh, you know, did you believe in Microsoft during the Windows 8 era? I believed they were going to fix it. I believed they were going to change the C-suite and I held on. That is my biggest position in terms of gain. It's also the one I've held the longest. Steve, this has been a long show. It is now time to hit our finisher. Thank you, everybody, for the great questions and for playing along. Which perennial Super Bowl advertiser is the best investment? Uh, only 13.2% of you said Coca-Cola. I think Warren Buffett would argue there. 15.9% uh, <laughs> said Anheuser-Busch. Again, another really strong long-term track record. 8% said McDonald's. Uh, I don't know. Grimace would disagree. Walt Disney, 62.9%. Steve, I can make a case for any of these. Yeah. Uh, I, I would agree with uh, everybody when they say Disney, though. That's where I voted. You could make a case. Uh, those are relatively conservative picks, but I would say Disney has the most upside promise uh, personally. Uh, I'd say uh, as far as perennial Super Bowl advertisers, uh, that's that's the one that I would most want to own. Um I'm I'm relatively disinterested in the rest, so uh, that's just me. As you know, Steve, I'm a, an annual pass holder at Walt Disney World. I am an avid Disney Plus watcher. If you're not watching WandaVision, first of all, catch up on the whole Marvel Universe first. Oh, yeah. It absolutely makes sense. But if you are watching it, the turn it took this week has made these two minor characters. One of them is now the center of the Marvel Universe. Uh, so it is absolutely compelling to watch. We'll close with a comment from J.E., Love your picks so far, Dan. Uh, super high on it for the long term. That's how it works for us. We are making picks when we are high in them for the long term. 
I know this can seem difficult. It doesn't have to be. That's why we are here. We will help you along the way on this show and for our subscribers. I am Dan Klein. He is Steve Symington. If you want to get in touch with us, there are a couple of ways. Info at seveninvesting.com. We'll either email you back or email you and tell you we're going to talk about it on a show. All of these shows are archived and coming soon, coming really soon, maybe even this week, is a search on our site that's going to make it awesome for you to find things we talked about. Uh, That's going to improve it. I'm not going to quite say what it is because I'll let Simon make that announcement. We got something cool coming. And of course, you can reach us on Twitter at Seven investing. We all monitor that account. Uh, you can talk to any of us. You can talk to all of us. We love to interact. Thank you for watching. We will be back on Wednesday, I believe, with Max and Manisha. So we'll be talking a lot of biotech. Hit me up with your biotech questions. That is at Seven Investing. Thank you. that people on this program may hold positions in the companies that are mentioned. Buying and selling stock carries financial risk, which could include the loss of capital. The views in this program should not be taken as personalized advice. Before acting on any of the information provided, listeners are encouraged to consult a financial or tax professional.